Welcome to episode 222 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We also have some robins out there. You can probably hear them. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars and apparently this week it's going to be for the birds. Can you hear them? No, I can't. <laughs> like but it's, all these robins. It's, a, it's a beautiful morning out today oh, yeah. and uh, yeah, the birds were chirping here too. Yeah, I think I think they're moving off, but it was very loud there. Just as I just as we as we hit record, all these robins showed up and uh, started tweeting very loudly outside the uh, outside the the hut here. So yeah, yeah, uh, we have a Patreon um, contributor to thank. Yeah, and yeah. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, just thanks uh, to Fred, uh, one of our newest Patreons. Um, I think we're now at. I think we're at 34 Patreon supporters, Chris. So, um, wow. you know, it's a big list. So thank you to everybody that does support us on Patreon. Uh, we really do appreciate it. And uh, it certainly helps us uh, keep this thing going. Yeah, we were actually just talking about that as we were getting going because uh, uh, I think Jim had had mentioned some uh, sound quality uh, issues. They'd actually... Um, Jim had mentioned that it was more Shane than me, but I think it's actually my end that's that's causing your problem, Shane. We've, we've determined, I'm pretty sure it is anyway. Yeah, yeah. There's a, So you don't have your typical microphone and full audio set up, and I, I think that your current microphone in the laptop is kind of creating a little bit of an echo with me occasionally. Uh, so if there's any sort of clipping noises or anything like that, uh, you know, we'll try to get that rectified on, uh, with a new microphone or adapters or something to, to make that setup a little bit more transportable and functional. Yeah, I think the one thing we're, we're talking about is I'm kind of just like bringing stuff back and forth. And I last week, I I, I just hadn't I, I hadn't forgotten anything. I just it was our first week out here. And so I just brought the laptop. And then this week I brought out uh, my secondary mic and and some other stuff, but I forgot an adapter. So for the sake of like uh, an inexpensive adapter, but see, typically I wouldn't buy that. I would just kind of lump it in life and get get along. Um, but then uh, Shane, you're reminding me that you know due to the, the great Patreon support of our listeners, um, that I should just well darn well go out and buy like the twenty dollar adapter. Like I said, that typically I I wouldn't buy. So I think we're we're going to start, uh, you know, doing stuff like that a, a little bit more since uh, since people are are making some contributions. And we do appreciate it and should help get the get the quality uh, uh, back up to the usual standards here uh, shortly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So thanks, uh, thanks for that, Fred. Um, and you you did a presentation. Yeah. So a little while ago, uh, the Seven Ponds Astronomy Club located uh, somewhere in Michigan. I can't remember exactly where, uh, but anyway, they contacted us. Um, one of their members, uh, Mark, I, I think had listened or listens to our podcast and uh, really enjoyed the small refractor episode that we did. I think that was like around 125 or something like that. And yeah. uh, asked if we would uh, be able to come to their club meeting and uh, deliver the presentation. So um, that was last night. So I showed up, uh, it was over Zoom, and I presented remotely. Um, I think there was uh, about 20-ish people that were at the meeting uh, from all parts of the U.S. too. Um, it was a quite, quite a, a wide swath. Um, so I think I talked for about 50 to 60 minutes. Um, and then we, we had a really nice conversation afterwards with some interesting questions. 
And uh, it was just a lot of fun. I, I love meeting new astronomers. I love talking about astronomy. Uh, so it worked out really well. It was, uh, and, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, and uh, I saw the link from Mark this morning that it's, uh, it's going to be up on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. They recorded the whole thing over Zoom and uh, put it up on YouTube. So I'll tweet out that link in case anybody's interested. Um, you know, this way, you, you know, I think all of our listeners or anyway, anybody who listened to that episode that we did again around 125, um, if you're interested in the visual aspects of that presentation, you'll be able to see it on this uh, YouTube feed. Yeah, that's, uh, that's great. And, you know, from, from my end, thanks so much for doing that. I know they kind of had reached out to, to us and uh, sort of asked us for that, but, but really it was your presentation, um, to begin with that that episode was based on. And then, uh, yeah, you turned it into, uh, you know, uh, a zoom presentation for them. So, uh, yeah, that's really cool. and really great that you were able to do that. Thanks so much for doing that, Shane. Yeah, yeah, you bet. And I put that presentation together a while ago for the local Regina Astronomy Club. And I, I think I've actually delivered it to them twice. Um, but anyway, it's, you know, that's a presentation that doesn't really expire. So it's good anytime. <laughs> yeah. And, and one thing I really like about this is um, one of our goals, I know at least, at least for me, and I think for you as well, in, in doing the podcast is that we often, you and I are creating content and delivering it to a small audience once, and then that's it, and we move on to the next stuff. And it, and and sometimes, not all the time, especially for me, but sometimes um, the content is really good, like like in the case of uh, of of that small scope episode. And so it was really nice you were able to deliver it to the local club, and then kind of refine it a bit for our podcast, and then deliver it again. So although it it's more or less the same content. Um, we're able to to reach a, a wider audience through all these different avenues. So it's really great that uh, that Mark reached out and and you were able to deliver that. That's that's super cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, there, there's a question that I that I got, Chris, that I wouldn't mind getting your opinion yeah. you know, on. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think the listeners would be kind of interested in this too. Now, you and I have done a flavor of this before about like if you had a certain amount of money and you were starting out, what would you buy? Uh, but this yeah. one was a little more pointed. So if you were to, to, uh, go out and buy uh, a small portable refractor. Uh, you know, again, the idea here is that it's a really nice grab and go setup. Um, and you had 600 to 800 us dollars to spend, uh, and you need the telescope, the mount and the tripod. What would you recommend? All right. So what was, uh, what was your recommendation? Uh, kind of lost you there. Do you want to repeat that? Yeah, what was your uh, recommendation there, Shane? So what I what I said is, um, uh, and and I qualified this with I've never used this telescope, but because of all of the uh, correspondence that we have with our listeners, the AT seventy ED um, seems like a really really good choice. You know, it's yeah. it, the build quality from you know just reading the description and and viewing the photographs and hearing the reviews of some of our listeners that have it. It just yeah. sounds like a wonderful telescope. And I think it's around 300 us dollars. Uh, so that's a pretty tough deal to beat. Um, then for a mount, uh, I, this is a little bit tougher because the small grab and go mounts, um, you know, that are alt as there's just not a lot of them out there. So I suggested, um, there's the stellar view M one that's been redesigned. Yeah. Uh, so that's a possibility. Um, I mentioned my Burlaback caster two, which oh, yeah, that's nice. uh, is available and it's a really nice mount. 
Um, and then for the tripod, the, again, this, this is probably my weakest area because I'm not super familiar with all the latest tripod offerings out there. Um, but I suggested the tripod that you and I essentially have, Chris, the Manfrotto, like I think mine's a 3046. Yeah. Uh, it's not made anymore, but they're not too hard to find on eBay or other used uh, channels. And like, I think I paid 150 Canadian for mine used and it's a wonderful tripod. Uh, you know, it, it, it's easy enough to pick up with one hand, you know, even with a mountain telescope on it. Yeah. And uh, it's quite stable. So I, I just think it's a wonderful tripod. And, and really, I think with everything I listed there, I think I come in maybe even under 600 US dollars, uh, depending on, you know, what deals you're able to find. Yeah. And what, what accessories and eyepieces and diagonals and that you already own. But yeah, I agree. You know, I, I haven't I haven't looked through one of these 70 EDs sort of with the caveat that I've looked through a lot of similar telescopes, perhaps is the best way to put it. Yeah. Um, you know, of various sizes. And the the thing that I, there's two things that I really like about the 70 ED. And I think it's it's by AstroTech, which is sold by Astronomics, which uh, is coincidentally the sponsor of Cloudy Nights, uh, which which makes them uh, a sort of fan favorite. I, I know because uh, Cloudy Nights is a free and very welcoming uh, internet forum for, for astronomy-based discussion. And uh, they're, they're the ones that host it. Um, and, and you get a discount if you buy from them. So uh, it, it's a really nice uh, relationship there. But, but that said, um, it comes with a two-inch focuser and it's ED glass and you get the full 70 millimeters. So it's going to be pretty decent. It's not going to be like the best telescope on, on Mars or planets because it's small and, and it doesn't have the high-end ED glass. That said, you're going to really be able to use very decent powers. Like um, it's going to hold up really well into those uh, sort of middling, like low to middle um, hundred power range, like 120 to like 140 power is probably where it's going to top out, but that's often all you can get out of the sky in a lot of nights. And so I, I like that out of the instrument, you get the full 70 millimeter aperture. Like a lot of the time with, um, some of the inexpensive and, and different branded, um, acromats, you might be losing five or six millimeters and might not quite have the, the level of coatings. Um, so you're really getting down, you might be buying like an 80 millimeter Acromat, but um, it's probably getting closer to 70 millimeters anyway. And then um, the other thing is, is that the 70 ED comes with a two inch focuser. So, but by the time I bought my, my really cheap, like $99 um, 80 millimeter short tube and put a two focuser on it, Mm -hmm. Um, by the time I factored in shipping, I was over the cost of the 70 ED. And if I had to do it again, it just doesn't make any sense to buy a short tube 80 these days, which I know is, has been a super popular telescope. If you can get it inexpensively, that's great. But by the time you actually outfit it with everything that comes with that 70 ED, you're over the price of it. And I think you have a superior telescope anyway in the 70 ED, because it's just out of the box, uh, going to work a little bit better. And, uh, and, and I think it's, it, you know, side by side. I, I can't imagine it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't be the ED or the SD80. So anyway, that's my two cents on that. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's great input. Um, it, you know, I, I enjoy these questions, but I, I really enjoy asking multiple people about them uh, yep. because it's a real subjective thing. Uh, everybody has different experiences with gear, and um, uh, you know, I don't think there's a, there's a right answer for any of this. There's just different opinions, and, and they're all valid. Yeah, I, I think also like people should know, though we haven't used it, this is a little bit of a crowdsourced answer, actually, because yeah. 
Yeah. I think we have like about half a dozen listeners with that scope that have written us. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing that not everybody that owns a piece of gear that we talk about is going to write us, that's probably the highest percent of, of uh, like equipment amongst our, our listeners. So it's not really necessarily 100% yours and mine recommendation. It, it's really coming from the listeners. And nobody's written. We have people that are newcomers to astronomy that have bought it, people that are really seasoned that have done tons of astronomy and 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 uh, and this is like their their sort of ultimate grab and go setup, and have written and said how great it is. So people from all different uh, spectrums of astronomy have kind of written and said like that's a pretty darn good little uh, decent telescope. Like not the best little telescope, but on the best price per performance and portability, uh, it, it's threading uh, it's threading the eye of the needle kind of thing. I think so. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and and you know realistically there's just no way you and i could ever really have experiences with you know everything out there especially the newer stuff that's coming out so it, it is nice to have that um third third party or third hand you know yeah. information coming in from the listeners because it, it does help us to form some opinions too yeah yeah and i mean if astronomics wants to go ahead and send us a couple like uh, or one to share like we're good with that too so <laughs> yeah we we could test and give it our our stamp of uh, approval or, or tell everybody what we think yeah pretty cool and uh, you mentioned the tripod which is kind of funny because you were probably much more intimately familiar with that tripod um than you had maybe intended to be let's put it that way uh you were, you were giving me a hand with uh, with my tripod, which I had purchased used. I think you said you paid 150 for yours years ago. I think yep. I paid something similar, probably like 20 years ago for, for my tripod. I don't even really know the name of it. And it was a little bit difficult to get parts. But uh, but my tripod had come to the end of its life. The, the feet had fallen off and I lost one in the mud last fall. Um the other ones, one I had duct taped on and, and it was no longer serviceable. Um, the center column had uh, sort of come out of the teeth and, uh, and, and the actual handle that you used to crank the column um, had basically fallen apart. And uh, in sort of a last ditch effort not to be one of those people that just sort of throw stuff away, I, I thought, you know, I'll spend a hundred bucks and see if we can resurrect it. And, uh, and boy, Shane, you got that working better than ever. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, those, um, those repair quests are always a little, they don't make me nervous, but I'm always wondering (laughs) what I'm getting myself into because (laughs) I don't know, I don't know how to, like, I don't really know how they function, you know? So when, when you bring these things over, or if I'm doing it even on my own gear, you know, you just start opening the thing up and, and, you know, you just figure out, I guess, kind of reverse engineer it. So, uh, your repair was super easy. Like, I think we, you know, the, the handle was less than five minutes and that, that was simple. And then the tripod feet just needed a, a little bit of a TLC, so to speak, or a big hammer to, to pound them in. So, yeah, well, I, I really appreciate it. And, and man, you're, you really have a good head for that kind of stuff. Like it's, you know, I just don't, it's not one of my skills to be able to, to look at something and figure it out. And, uh, and man, you're fast. Like I couldn't believe how quick you figured out how to get that column in there. I kind of looked at it for an hour one night and said, I need help. Like I'm going to just destroy this tripod. If I try to do it, <laughs> I was going to try to pry something off that shouldn't have been pried off. And that would have just really damaged it beyond repair. So, uh, yeah, I really appreciate that. And, 
yeah, I mean, uh, that was really, really nice of you to do that and, uh, and to get those feet on too. I, I thought the feet would go on much easier, but the feet, which, which seemed like the easy thing to me, they, they were uh, much more difficult to get on. Like the, you really had to pound those in with a, like a particular mallet and all that kind of stuff. So weird. Yeah. Yeah. Those were more challenging. I'm sure there's a much better way of doing that. I just, maybe I didn't have the right tools. Like I think a press would have been the ultimate, but I don't know how you fit the leg into a press. Um, but anyway, we, you know, I think it's functional and I, I think we yeah. resurrected that tripod and hopefully you get a, another 20 years out of it. Yeah, I, I hope so too. Um, and I think I will actually, you know, the, the, uh, column had always been a little loose. Like I bought it used and it was well used when I bought it, like it was kind of dented and sort of missing some of the um, superficial parts that didn't really have too much function um, and certainly didn't impact it for astronomy. But the center column was always just a little bit germy bearing, you know, it was always just a little bit squiggly, even mm -hmm. when it was locked down. And when you were done, it was totally solid. It was better. Like the tripod honestly works like no joke better than it ever did. Um, it was like improved, actually, not just back to, uh, you know, working order, but uh yeah, I'm actually really excited to kind of get it out and try it because when I when I put a heavier load on it, like with my uh, 100 millimeter refractor, it, it would kind of have this little bit of a skip to it. But I think you you were able to work that out, so I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. No, I I like easy ones like that. Keep keep bringing me easy ones. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. And uh, I get to look at your TSA 102. That was exciting. That was really exciting for me. I <laughs> I could see, I, I could see without asking that you were quite surprised, uh, as soon as you saw it. And, uh, I, I like your, your notes about, <laughs> about yeah, so, you know, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the TSA 102 is a four inch, apparently a four inch, hundred, hundred millimeter odd, um, refractor by Takahashi known to be among the best, uh, four inch refractors ever made. And, and I own, I've owned lots of refractors. I own a four inch Takahashi refractor and my four inch Takahashi refractor looks like a finder scope compared to the chains TSA 102. And so I said, well, I think I know why that scope works so good. It's really a five inch telescope. It's not a four inch <laughs> telescope because it's huge. It's huge yeah. for a four inch telescope. It's bigger than my five inch telescope. Well, I know it's when I, when I received it, uh, I was shocked. Um, I, up until, you know, receiving the TSA 102, I always thought that my uh, Teleview Genesis SDF was a tank. Like it's a, it's a big, heavy four inch refractor, like being, it's a Petsfold design, yes. there's more glass in it. Um, and like, I think that the SDF is actually heavier than my 120, uh, ED maybe, or, or, or at least the same weight. Um, so I get the TSA 102 and it dwarfs my Genesis. So <laughs> I was quite surprised at the size of it. Now it, it is heavy and, you know, comparatively say to your doublet, um, which makes sense because it is a triplet. Uh, but one thing I will say is if, when you take the telescope off the mount, you know, given its form factor is quite large, it actually, you know, it doesn't weigh as much as I thought it would, uh, just based on the physical appearance, not saying it's a light telescope. I think it's still like 10 or 11 pounds, but um, but yeah, it's, it's not, uh, it's not insignificant. It catches the eye. Yeah. Yeah. Nice looking scope though, but huge. Like even the focus around it is, it seems like double sized. Like when I couldn't believe like the, the focus knob on it, it looks like it's, I don't know, like it feels like it's more than an inch across. Like it's really, everything's much bigger. Like 
when I had only ever seen photos of them before. And then holy cow, to to see that focuser on it like that, I was uh, I was really surprised. I mean, it's a, it's a nice uh, nice instrument. Yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah. The the focuser is not the this like the default or the the factory focuser. So I wonder if if the original Takahashi focuser was on there, if it would be um, like the regular size knobs, or if they were even larger on the TSA. I, I don't know, but certainly those feather touch knobs are huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't like. I have a feather touch focuser, and surprisingly, um, those ones are much much larger than than on my feather touch. So. Yeah, it was a surprise, but a nice, beautiful, smooth motion on it. And uh, yeah, yeah, really, really nice. So very cool. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So did you get any observing in? I know you were out at your uh, second location there last night. Yeah, I just was looking at where the moon um, was going to rise because I think I might try to stay out here and watch the uh, lunar eclipse tonight. Uh, I thought it would rise like behind the hill, but I think it rises sort of... um, just sort of down, uh, down across, uh, from the hill. So I think it'll be, uh, I think it'll be visible. Uh, maybe I might lose the, the 15 minutes, uh, more that I might get if I was out just behind my house. But, uh, yeah, I think I might stay out here and, and try to watch it. So just kind of watch the moon, uh, go across. And then I opened up, uh, all the blinds, like, um, and, uh, was able to kind of see the, uh, the moon kind of go across the sky kind of through throughout the night as I, I was sleeping. It kind of woke me up at a couple of points, which is sort of my intent. I kind of wanted to sort of, you know, watch it, just sort of watch the night sky and watch the moon go across while I was kind of sleeping. Yeah, it was pretty cool because there's some pretty big windows here. So it's kind of nice just to get up and, and watch it as, it as it made its way across the sky. And then I went out at about 4.30 or whatever it was and and watched the moon set. Hmm. See, it's uh, across the uh, other side uh, in front of some hills or behind some hills. And yeah, it was, it was really, really pretty. Yeah. Really pretty to see. Yeah. It was just a naked eye thing. I didn't, didn't even grab my binoculars or anything. I just sort of watched it. I uh, watched it rise and I watched it uh, transit and watched it set. Yeah, It was just a uh, really, really lovely experience. Uh, not really anything, uh, um, you know, pressing skill requirements or anything difficult. It was just a lot of fun. Yeah. Sometimes it's fun just to do something like that. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that's another question that I got, uh, presenting to seven ponds, uh, astronomy club was when like sort of what are the rules of engagement, if you will, that's not how it was asked, but, um, you know, between using binoculars and, and a small telescope. And, mm-hmm. um, I, so I said, uh, there's, there's a few things that happen when we go out observing. Um, and I said, when we, when we tend to use binoculars, it's either like a sucker hole night, you know, where you're mm-hmm. kind of observing between the clouds. So that's one use, or that's one scenario. Um, another is, um, uh, sometimes at the end of an observing night, you know, when it's two in the morning, you're a little fatigued and observing Cyclops all night with one eye can be even more fatiguing on your eyes. Mm-hmm. So at that point, sometimes it's nice to put the telescope away and just switch over to uh, the binoculars. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also referenced our little two by fifties that we have that just sometimes we, you know, get enamored by them and we don't even look through a telescope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. So yeah, there's a a lot of different use cases, but uh, I guess I'm also maybe encroaching on our next episode a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. More more to come. Stay tuned. (laughs) Yeah. I'll shut up now. (laughs) No, not at all. Not at all. Um, I actually bought a new telescope. 
yeah, yeah. So let's hear about this. This is incredible. Yeah. So this, this is the telescope that I've looked at for the longest time. I just realized I'm sitting here and it's going to match my car. This is going to be pretty sweet. eh? <laughs> I never thought of that, but you're right. <laughs> neither, neither did I. You, so you anyway. need to get a vanity license plate now that says Celestron. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm not paying for that. Um, and yes, that's not happening. Okay. So, so this telescope is something that I've wanted to get probably just about, I don't know, at least for a decade, maybe even longer. And, and what it is, I almost feel like I shouldn't, shouldn't tell people what it is that I should let people guess. We could have a competition. No, it's, uh, it's a little Schmidt, uh, Newtonian by Celestron. They were made in the eighties and, uh, it's really fast. It's F three, six and, uh, it's five and a half inches. So it's 140 millimeters, uh, in aperture and 500 millimeters in focal length. And what makes this telescope special and, and why I'm drawn to it is it's, uh, it's a very wide field telescope. So it's, it's really main purpose is for wild wide field observing. Um, which is my favorite type of observing, strangely yeah. enough, or you know, one of my five favorite types. No, it's it really wide field observing is is one of the main things that I that I do like to do, especially from dark sites. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd hemmed and hawed over getting one for for a long time, and I'd seen lots of them come through, and um, because they are older, um, oftentimes the focusers are, are broken and uh, we're not in great working condition, and um, and then as well, if, if they are in good working condition, often they're, they're pretty expensive. So I, I'd always been looking for one with the right combination of uh, functionality, like, like that, that works pretty good. Um, and that, uh, you know, wasn't too expensive. And so this, this one kind of threaded um, a pretty good line. It, it, it looks really good. Like I think it's in um, excellent working condition. I think it's, you know, it might be a bit dusty or it might have a few little scratches or something. So, so that's fine. Like it might need to be cleaned up a bit. Um, so I'm kind of prepared for that. It probably needs to be optically aligned. So kind of already reached out to you on that one, Shane, and uh, there's going to be a few little things like that. Um, but the other thing is, is that a lot of people buy them and you, you can modify it. So these, these are older, they're from the eighties. So they only take one and a quarter inch eyepieces, but you can buy, and it's a, it's a bit of a online scramble. And maybe I took a bit of a gamble and bought some adapters already, but you can buy adapters to turn it into um, a two inch eyepiece capable telescope. And so that's, uh, that's what I intend to do. So you got a, a F3.64 or F3.6 um, uh, Schmidt Newtonian. And, and what, what you have is, I, I believe it's a spherical mirror with, um, it has a meniscus or an objective glass that corrects um, for many of the uh, spherical and, and other Newtonian aberrations. So you get a, a pretty good, uh, well-corrected field. Some people say it's like an F5. Some people say it's closer to F7. So it's a very well-corrected instrument um, without having to use like a paracore or other kind of coma corrector. And then, uh, with the modern advances in all these adapters, I feel like we live in adapter hell sometimes, but, uh, there is, if you can figure it out, you can, uh, you can get something like, uh, a two inch focuser, uh, to work on it, uh, and, and to be able to take, uh, something like a Nagler 22, or I really want to use, and I've heard great results of people using 
the, uh, the doctor 12 and a half millimeter as well, which I own. So I'm pretty excited about this Shane. Really, really excited. I'm, I'm super excited to look through it. It, it, you know, as you and I were talking yesterday, I love the aesthetics of it. Uh, the orange paint and the font uh, are, are really cool. The focusing mechanism is, is very different uh, from anything I've seen before. Yeah. Um, and you know me, I love these old scopes because I think there's a lot of value there. And, you know, yeah. we get caught up sometimes spending a lot of money on modern stuff where this old stuff, you know, sometimes all it needs is a little bit of a cleaning or re-greasing yeah. and, and you have yourself an outstanding performer. So, uh, you know, because this design is unique and, and the wide fields that it offers, I'm, I'm super excited to look through it once you get it going. Yeah. Yeah. So my, and, and one of the things that I, that I had wanted to get for a long time was, uh, uh, at least, uh, a somewhat portable, but not as costly telescope that I could take traveling for me. Although, you know, now, now that I've bought some adapters and that I'm, you know, I'm up into a few hundred bucks, but, uh, but really that that's not that expensive for a five and a half inch telescope. That's, that's designed for low power, mostly wide field observing. And, and, you know, you can run the power on it. It's, it's probably good up to around 110 or so is kind of what the online uh, comments seem to uh, seem to indicate, but it's, but it's hard to tell people. Uh, a lot of people say that um, the secondary is the source. The secondary mirror is the source of a lot of challenges with these telescopes. Um, and there was one individual who confirmed that and, and was uh, very mechanically inclined, like somebody like yourself, Shane, and did everything and anything, still couldn't get the performance, pulled the secondary out, had it shipped to an optician, had it reground, recoded, and put back in and said it's like one of the best telescopes uh, they've ever had. So um, if, if we can't get it going 100%, then I kind of intend to do just that because I kind of feel like getting a, getting a secondary ground flat and recoded, um, you know, that that's not really crazy expensive anyway, you know, maybe that's going to cost a couple hundred bucks, but you know, for, you know, for 500 bucks or so to have a really high performing telescope, uh, and five and a half inch aperture that, uh, that I can take on trips, throw in a suitcase is, is pretty exciting. And it matches your car color. It, it as, does. As you and said. I <laughs> didn't even think about that. Yeah. I have a Silverstone <laughs> orange uh, car. Yeah. Strangely enough. Yeah. Just, uh, just the, the color that, uh, that they have when I was buying it and didn't care about the color and yeah, very good. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've never been so excited because just the performance of these telescopes, the, the unique, um, optical design and, and, you know, between the Schmidt Newtonian design, which is, which is somewhat unique combined with like that sled focuser, um, you know, the guppy pregnant guppy back end is, as Dave Trott says, uh, yeah, it's a it, it's a it's a little weird telescope that has really good wide field capabilities, and that is my name right now, over <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Does it come with the original like I'll say what looks to be inadequate pier mount, a mini tripod? <laughs> no, I don't think this one. No, okay. no, I, I think this one actually is just the tube. I, I don't even think there's like lens caps or anything that comes with any lens caps. That that okay. would be a bonus. So. I think I'm kind of in for a, a bit of a time kind of properly outfitting it, which mm -hmm. is fine. Mm -hmm. And because uh, the price was right and the, the price for shipping was right. Um, yeah, it's uh, every, everything sort of came together on this. I think it's just going to need a good dusting and then an alignment and then a test. And uh, yeah, it should be good. One of the things that that had um, kind of held me back from buying it before Shane, I was telling you this yesterday, is that I, I didn't feel like I had a good mount for it before. Mm -hmm. 
And then when I had bought the AZ GTI from Skywatcher, um, I, I had completely forgotten about the, uh, about the comic catcher and, uh, and my, my desire for that. And then one day I was looking at uh, a slightly different version of it. So Vixen made a version called the 140 and, uh, and I don't think they made very many of them. And uh, anyway, I saw online where a lot of people in Japan were mounting old 140s uh, now on the AC GTI and, and, and saying how great they worked. And I thought, holy cow, I got to get one of these common catchers and put it on the AC GTI because here I have a mount. I have lots of uh, tripods that, that I put that mount on. So I don't like I already have the mount tripods have some IP, like one of the eyepieces people say to use with it is the Dr. 12 and a half, um, you know, works amazingly. People say that's probably about the best eyepiece for it. So, you know, for, for not a whole lot of money, I can just get the telescope set of rings. And then, uh, yeah, it's, it's a long list of things to get, but everything's been really cheap so far. Like the adapter, I bought an adapter. It was 17 euros. I bought some rings. They were like 30 euros. I had to buy some felt for the rings because it's an odd size. That was $12 American, but another adapter for 20 bucks. So it's all kind of stuff like that. Um, that's going to slowly drift in here to properly uh, outfit the, the telescopes that I can use it. So I'll, I'll probably end up in almost twice for what I paid for the telescope to kind of get it um, to take eyepieces the way, the way that I wanted to. But uh, yeah, I'm just so excited. I, I, I should stop talking about that. <laughs> No, this is great. I'm I'm excited for you. I can't wait to see it. Uh, I think I think this is going to be a, a fun little project for you. Yeah, and, and maybe a little bit for you as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I figured I'd probably get tangled up in this one. <laughs> but it's but I think it's good. I think I think it'll be fun. Um, you know, and then again, like just because it's 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 not a very expensive telescope, and it's not really even that rare. Like they made a lot of them, and they sold a lot of them. So even if something isn't perfect, like there's always the chance of, of being able to buy one that is compromised, except for maybe a part that I'm looking for, or if I did travel with it and something happened to it, like if it got lost or whatever, well, that, that wouldn't be good. But at the same time, it's not like, uh, you know, if your Takahashi got, got lost in transport, which would uh, really set you back and be heartbreaking. Right. So, um, I feel like this kind of opens up, uh, you know, a couple different, couple different doors uh, for me. Plus I, you know, kind of was, uh, looking for, I'd like to sort of get telescopes kind of like you do. And, um, like how we played with those, uh, little 50 millimeters. And I, I kind of done a lot of theory on it, but hadn't sort of, um, you know, bitten the bullet on actually buying a lot of those little board parts to put them together. And you, you actually went down the rabbit hole on that for us. And then I trailed along and picked up all your spare parts from you in behind. Yeah. Um, and that, that was really fun. And, that's kind of motivated me to do kind of the same with this. And, and what I really want to do, Shane, is I want to mount that 50 millimeter two inch capable um, telescope uh, that, that, that you've, you know, kind of came up with and sold me um, to, to this telescope, which I'll get configured in its own two inch wide field format and just have sort of this, this ultimate wide field machine um, in my mind anyway, which, you know, really in the end is only going to have run maybe, like all, like all told, you know, just into the few hundreds of dollars really, which is, that that's a lot of fun, not a whole lot of money. I hope anyway, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, part, part of the, part of the fun for me is just figuring all this stuff out with these old scopes and getting them working how you want. Um, cause like I say, they, 
you know, they can be really, really strong performers. Um, so it's, it, I think it's worth the, uh, the effort and, and worth the money. And, you know, at the end of it, you're, you're probably going to end up with a telescope that you absolutely love and, yeah. uh, who knows it, you know, it may surprise you how much you end up using it. Yeah. I got to tell this one little story. So, you know, and I, I often go and, and read them and research them. So it's, uh, it's got this sled focuser and the way it works is that the focuser, um, and the secondary stock and the secondary holder and the secondary mirror are all one unit. And as you turn a knob, the whole thing slides forward and backward inside the tube. And that's how it focuses. Traditionally, focusers move the eyepiece up and down one way or another um, in a Newtonian to, to achieve focus. And the secondary and, and all this other stuff is, is affixed to the tube. But with these, it, it doesn't work like that. And it has a relatively large secondary. It's like around 33 or 35%. Um, and just the way the configuration is, when I was doing some reading, I was reading, I, I think it was in French or something. And I, I kind of picked up, I was like, what are they talking about? And I did the translation because I was just looking at photos. And then I was kind of trying to read and piece through and did, you know, hit the Google translate on this page. And this person said that, <laughs> that it, it will give a toilet seat like star test. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that comparison. I've never heard that before, but but it kind of made sense. They had a graphic of it. You could see like sort of like the public toilet seats that have the opening on it because just the way it's the way it's configured uh, with the large secondary stock and the large secondary, uh, you get sort of like this this uh, star, and then it would have like a break in it, right? so it looks like a public toilet seat. So anyway, I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, that, that is that is funny. Cool. All right. Well, that's uh, that's sort of my excitement. Uh, we've got we've got some listener emails. This this one's really interesting, Shane. We had an email from uh, Ethan, and uh, now now this is happening tomorrow. Um, but he's going to try live streaming um, through his Unistellar via YouTube, and uh, gave us the link. I think the link was um, needed to be modified, so he he resent it. And I put the modified link into the show notes. Um, and but he's saying his forecast doesn't doesn't look good. But he's hoping for some clear skies and uh, just trying to to experiment with it uh, a little bit. So that might be interesting to tune into. I might try to do that now that my internet's back up and running. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be tonight, and um, it's for which the lunar eclipse. Yeah, which is Sunday, Sunday night. night. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'll tweet it out. Um, but when people actually hear this episode, the event will have passed. But uh, yeah. Yeah, it's super cool what he's trying to do. And you and I have talked uh, many times about Ethan's uh, Unistellar telescope and just how enamored we are with the community science behind it all. So I think this is yet another really awesome use of that telescope. If you can live stream events, uh, that's just incredible. Yeah, yeah, no, no, really cool. Um, and then Peter... And I had had some exchange about the uh, Pentax XWI pieces, and uh, he he had bought several of them. Um, I, I don't know if it was based on any of my recommendations or not. I think he, he tried a few himself and, and and made that selection on his own. But he was uh, he was asking me if I ever had trouble with the thin eyepiece covers. So, uh, are you familiar with how the Pentax eyepiece cover works, Shane? Yeah, yeah, because I think they're the same uh, design as the XL line, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. I, I had some XLs, and I'll be honest, I I hated those caps. I, I thought it was the worst design I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, and why was that? 
they come off like uh, it almost like this is an exaggeration, but it just seems like a, a light breeze could blow them off. Like the the taper of of the top of the eyepiece housing isn't conducive to like a cap sticking on top. At least I at least the the ones that shipped with it. So. Um, what I ended up doing is you can buy those yellow replacement eye caps. Uh, oh yeah. They're all over eBay. I forget the name of them. They're, they're really good. Um, oh. but I, I found, I forget which size now, so I can't really, you know, be specific on, on which one to use, but one of them created like a little bit of a suction when I put it on and pressed kind of down on the middle of the, the cap. So it yeah. sort of worked better than the original ones that Pentax had shipped, but Anyway, uh, they didn't work well for me. I'm not sure if they made any improvements on the XW cap, but they drove me nuts. Yeah, so it's it's kind of hard to describe because usually the way an eyepiece cap works is that, um, well, there's like uh, the eyepiece and then you have a slightly oversized cylinder with a flat top and it kind of just sort of press fits, right? Like that's basically, mm-hmm. um, but they decided, <laughs> and it's sort of unfortunate in a way. It's like one of those things that, it wasn't a problem for anybody. Nobody was complaining about eyepiece caps, right? Like it's not like there was a revolt in the astronomy <laughs> eyepiece caps of this sort that have been used for 400 years didn't work or however long they've been used. I think when I looked at some of the telescopes back in uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the Galileo Museum when I was in Florence, I think some of them had just like, just is like the obvious cap design. Looks kind of like a circular thing and it like a tube that has a, covering on one end and just sort of fits over and it's kind of how they've been doing it since the telescope was invented but pentax said no no we're going to reinvent this because i don't know why and uh so what they have is there's like the top of the eyepiece and it has like a rim kind of like think about the rim of um like a soda bottle or a pop bottle and then they they have like a thin piece of plastic that doesn't actually cover the whole the whole rim it covers just a third of that rim and then covers over the opening and then there's like a bit that kind of dips down inside the opening and uh it kind of is a bit of a press fit mm-hmm. it's it's sort of a strange design and i don't i don't there might have been a couple olivian or oliver or whatever they're called eye pieces that used it too but it, it never really caught on um anyway but uh i never personally i never had trouble with it i just always thought it was a bit of a, uh, of a strange, uh, idiosyncrasy, you know, mm-hmm. it was solving a problem that, that didn't exist, which I'm always really concerned about. Um, I think we've all experienced that in our workplaces. Sometimes we all sit around, we're talking about stuff and at, you know, sort of at the end of the week, we realized we just solved something that wasn't a problem, um, <laughs> didn't need to be done. But anyway, so Peter actually found some replacement caps at Buckeye Astronomy. Oh. Um, yeah. And I think if people just Google Buckeye astronomy, um, you can go in and, uh, and actually, uh, find some replacement caps that they have created that actually, uh, according to Peter, uh, work much better than those originals. So, uh, there we go. I mean, maybe that's the design they were actually going for. And, uh, so that's pretty cool. I hadn't heard of that before. I, 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 I don't even know if I was familiar with Buckeye Astronomy. Maybe I'd hit the website once in my life, but uh, hadn't really picked up on that. But I think that's pretty neat. 
Yeah, no, that's really good to know. I wasn't aware they had an option out there um, because those are outstanding eyepieces. The only yeah. real fault that I can come up with them is those caps, which to me is, you know, it wouldn't stop me from using them because they are they are great. And and you know the um, the inflation in eyepiece prices over the last few years is put, you know, a lot of these higher end eyepieces into uh, another category of cost, but the Pentax have just stayed flat. Um, yeah. So, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, uh, these Pentaxes were 350 Canadian dollars or 400 yeah. or whatever. And yeah. uh, that was a lot. Um, but now it almost seems like a bargain compared to yeah. some of the prices that are out there. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Yeah, they're they're actually when I was buying mine, I think I was paying into the four hundreds, like low four hundreds, four twenty five, mm-hmm. in the in the early two thousands, and now uh, last one I bought, I bought on sale for three forty nine. Mm-hmm. So so that that's a huge difference. And at the time, people thought it was nuts that I was paying four hundred and something dollars for a seventy degree eyepiece when like the Ethos had just come out, even though they were running, um, you know, in five or six hundred bucks or whatever they were starting. And, uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I think the Pentax are great. Um, and, and, uh, sorry, I told Peter that I would mention that and that I would also mention the cool feature that he reminded me about. I've never tried this for myself, but the, uh, Pentax came up with, uh, the screw up and down eyepieces, mm-hmm. um, or what do you call it? It's the, the ability to change the uh, distance between your eye and the lens. What's, what's this? Just, sort of just the eye cup adjustment. I think. The eye cup. Yes. Yeah. And you can screw it right off and you can actually attach, um, what is it? You can attach some sort of cameras or something like that. Do you remember? Uh, yeah, something like that. I think, um, it's, uh, I think the term is called, uh, decloaking. So some, some astronomers like to decloak their eyepiece, like, uh, Teleview delights. You can do the same thing. You can just uh, keep unscrewing um, the eye cup adjustment, and it comes right off. So you save a little bit of weight. But what people, what some people really like about that is, uh, if you're a bino viewer, sometimes those uh, those casings uh, add a lot of diameter to your eyepiece. And you know, when you're bino viewing, sometimes you don't have that space. So decloaking them um, just buys you a little bit more room. Yeah. And then I think with these Pentax, you can actually thread on camera adapters and, and attach some cameras uh, to them directly for, uh, I think that's prime focus or anyway, some type of uh, photography that hmm. I'm not going to get into because I know nothing about, but that's sort of one <laughs> of those options. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, we talked about Jim already um, and the sound. Uh, Chris wrote and he said, um, Joe Rowe, R-A-O is a longtime local weatherman um, in the New York area. And he's researched the potential for a possible new meteor shower coming up around uh, May 30th. Uh, that has the potential to be a good one. Uh, he's uh, predicting there's a possibility for large fragments from the 1995 73P Schwassmann-Watchman breakup um, to, to enter our atmosphere and could be quite, uh, quite spectacular. Uh, and he sent me a, a sent us a link to to that article that was on spaceweather.com. Uh, so uh, May thirtieth, I think we're actually out observing together that night. I think we're down in the grasslands. Yeah, yeah. So that's pretty cool. Um, I knew nothing about this potential meteor shower, but um, it sounds very interesting. And uh, because, I, like, I think this might be the first time that Earth passes through the field. Is that right? 
Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think mm. uh, I did read the article. I thought it was pretty cool, but I read it when we received it, received it, uh, I think a week ago today. But uh, yeah, I think that that's what I uh, pulled from it as well. Yeah. So, you know, assuming that's the case, um, it definitely has big potential because, um, again, the idea is that uh, the comet passed, it left a whole bunch of de debris behind. And then as the earth moves through that debris field, the matter burns up in our atmosphere and we see a bunch of meteors. Um, if the earth has never traveled through this particular field before, um, you know, there might be a lot more stuff there to burn up. So mm -hmm. yeah, we'll, I'm hoping that we have clear skies that night. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, and I'll just kind of mention a couple of uh, emails we received briefly because we are running short on time. Um, Adam wrote about getting um, possibly like ED eighties, like uh, small uh, 80 millimeter uh, ED telescopes. Um, so he was looking at an ED80, a Vixen ED80, a Borg uh, ED76, and uh, he attached some sketches of uh, M3 using, or Messi 3 which is a globular cluster using its eight-inch daub. Those are spectacular sketches, I thought. Yeah, yeah, they were amazing. They're really good. Yeah, I really wanted to, I really wanted to mention that. Um, I didn't put them in the notes because I, uh, I didn't have good internet last night and, and couldn't get them into the notes, but thank you so much for sending those out. You sent us a whole pile of sketches, uh, and those were, uh, really awesome. Really appreciate it. We, we need to get like a, we need to get like a, uh, something up that we can make a gallery of all the stuff that people send us would be cool. Um, and then Tyler wrote us, um, just like sending a really nice, thank you. Really appreciate that. Uh, Tyler, um, we, we do really appreciate that so much. And he sent you a congratulatory remark on your observation of Cirrus B. Shane. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that, Tyler. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I was quite excited when I made the observation because I've been trying that one for quite a while. So, um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, and he's uh, just finished up his uh, Messier list. So the Messier list is something uh, most of us as observers, when we are setting out, we're trying to complete. There's about 110 objects in it. And uh, yeah, he was going through like some of his last observations and uh, was using his little Mead uh, 90 millimeter Maxudov 13.8. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty cool uh, little instrument. Um, and then Wade had written... Um, to uh, to reply to uh, some of uh, Ant's emails from uh, episode 220, saying that uh, he has a Wade has an AZ GTI as well, and he loves it, and uh, he agrees that the tripod that it comes with is a little lightweight. Um, and let's see, let's see, tightening. Yeah, he talks about tightening it down, and yeah, kind of working working away at it. Um, I think I want to read this next week. Uh, there's a lot of detail that I think uh, is important. So I think I think kind of with that, and there was there was one more email from Mark on his telecatastrophe. I think we'll we'll carry forward a couple of these uh, to next week, Shane, and uh, yeah, hopefully uh, we get get more emails from people. Really appreciate uh, people getting in touch, and uh, yeah, look forward to hearing from folks. So Shane, do you have anything else to add to this uh, episode before we wrap it up? No, that's everything, Chris. All right. Perfect. Well, thanks, Shane. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Be sure to subscribe and uh, send us your observing emails and notes. And if you want to support the, the podcast, we always appreciate it. Uh, we're on Patreon under Actual Astronomy. Thanks again for listening. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>